Thank you for listening to Alive and Wellness, the podcast brought to you by Northwest Missouri State University's Wellness Services Prevention, Outreach, and Education team. We focus on mental well-being, violence prevention, and alcohol and other drugs. Our mission is to educate and empower listeners. Today, I am your host, Monica Ziegel, the Hope for All coordinator, and we have a special guest today who will be discussing resilience. Our special guest is Jessica Gifford. Say hi, Jessica. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you here. So Jessica, what we like to do on our podcast is share pieces of good news before we get started. So would you like to share? Sure. So I've really been appreciating getting out into nature. I'm in Western Massachusetts. So April is a time where it could be a glorious day. It could be snowing. It could be raining. But everything is changing right now. So each day I go on a walk and there's more flowers and leaves coming out. And I've been really appreciating that. Yes, it is. Uh, spring is such a great time. Although we're having snow today <laughs> and I'm really not not feeling it. Yeah, I can imagine. It'd be nice if that uh, period was over. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, my good news is that the Lego Group is offering their assistance to healthcare workers on the front lines of COVID-19 crisis by using their facilities to produce thousands of protective facial visors. Uh, according to an Instagram post that was published by Lego earlier this week, the company's Byland-based factory in Denmark has reworked some of their machinery to make more than 13,000 plastic masks per day. The masks will reportedly be, be distributed to hospitals and medical facilities across the country. I just think it's awesome how big businesses and even small businesses are reworking their companies to assist in this crisis. Not only does it show that they have a heart, but it also helps keep people employed. Jessica Gifford is the Associate Director of Mental Health Promotion at Amherst College in Massachusetts. Jessica has also authored two books on cultivating mental well-being and resiliency. I'm using one of Jessica's books to help teach mental wellness. I reached out to her for permission to utilize her material, and not only did she grant permission, we met via Zoom, of course. She agreed to do this podcast, and we were looking for other ways to collaborate in the future. So, Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Can you start off by giving us a little bit of background? Yes. So, thank you again for having me. Um, so, I am originally from Canada. I, I moved to the United States to go to college. I'm actually a dual citizen, so I have two passports, um, which were very hard to get, actually, but... That's, a, that's another story. I, I came here for college and went to Antioch College in Ohio. I knew that I really wanted to get into psychology, into counseling. That field's always been of a lot of interest to me. Um, and then I did my master's degree at Smith College School for Social Work, which is actually here in Northampton, Massachusetts. And I live about five minutes away still. I walk my dog there um, oh, on an nice. almost daily basis. It's a beautiful campus. You know, once I graduated, I was launched into the world of social work and had a few very intense 
uh, clinical jobs. So I worked in a residential program for teen girls who had, you know, had had behavioral and mental health issues. I worked at a psychiatric hospital for teens, again, who were struggling with depression, suicidality, psychosis, and it was very intense. And I have to say that after um, five years of doing that kind of frontline work, I burnt out and I um, was really fortunate to come across a job at a local college that was focused more on the prevention end of things. So I was the director of um, wellness at Hampshire College for about seven years. And then I moved over to Amherst College in a similar position as a mental health educator. I think that's kind of a um, pattern with people who work in the mental health field is we all have some experience with kids, younger kids, it is so easy to get burnout with it them is. because I I just I wanted to when I worked with juveniles I wanted to take them home. Yeah, it's um uh, you know I mean I think it was very important experience for me and definitely that clinical work has informed all of my other work. At the same time, it's really unfortunate that the burnout rate in those fields is so high, um, I think partially because they're not culturally valued and supported and there's not enough resources. And so people in those positions are just chronically overworked and are dealing with some really difficult situations. I agree. So Jessica, you and I both got our start in our current positions through the Garrett Lee Smith Suicide Prevention Grant through SAMHSA. Uh, my position just received funding through the university to continue my work past the three-year grant. How are you able to continue? I'm very grateful to have the, the Amherst College received that grant and to have had the opportunity to step into this position because it was really an ideal position for me that was focused on improving student mental health and well-being uh, in a preventative way, kind of looking at the overall uh, well-being of the campus rather than doing more individual clinical work. So I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. As I'm sure you could relate to, it was very nerve-wracking being on a grant. And when I started, three years felt like a really long time but it went by really fast and I wasn't sure that the college was gonna pick up the position, but I think students had become very invested in it and it was really helpful to have a lot of student involvement and participation in the programs. I think they really appreciated the opportunity to talk about mental health and to engage in stress reduction to work on efforts to destigmatize and to have opportunities to build resiliency and to build well-being without having to be in, in crisis or seek out um, counseling. So I think that the college recognized that and we were also lucky to have some assessment as part of the suicide prevention grant. So we had some really good data showing that the interventions successfully reduced anxiety and depression and stress and built connection and well-being and 
actually built satisfaction with their experience as students. And so that was helpful in having the college pick up the position. But I didn't hear for sure until about two weeks before my contract ended. And so it was a very time. That's scary. (laughs) Yes. I still have a little over a year on mine. And and it's like what you said with the students valuing mental health, mental wellness. Our student senate are the ones who pushed for and eventually got a fee to to keep wellness services overall in business. That's really great. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so clearly a need. And uh, traditionally, that need has really just been addressed by individual support and counseling. And I think it's really important to address that need in proactive ways as well that help students to engage in increasing their well-being. So that's wonderful that your position is continuing and that students really were part of making that happen. Yeah, I'm very excited because I it's honestly my dream job. I love the position. I love the kids. I love I'm actually working at my alma mater. So it's fantastic for me. That's great. I am currently going through your resiliency skills training manual. What, why don't you tell us about it? Sure. So this actually came out of an initiative that I started at Amherst College, which is a four-week resiliency skills training course. And it's something that I've offered both in, in person as a four-session workshop, but also online as a as more of a resiliency challenge where um, participants get emailed a list of activities and then they really do them on their own. And we had uh, a couple of hundred students participate one year, which our college only has 1,800 students. And so that was, you know, That's more than awesome. 10% of the student body. So that was awesome. And because of the grant, we were able to do the assessment and it showed that it had a really significant impact. Even when students were only doing the activities for 15 to 30 minutes per week. And so that really inspired me to want to disseminate it further. And so I wrote um, this workbook, which has the four weeks of activities in it. And as as you know, they are in categories. So each week has a mini goal. It has um, an activity in the area of emotional skills, an activity in the area of social connection, of health, of meaning, and of self-talk. And then there's a, a reflection at the end to help people sort of assess what benefit they're getting. And so these are all activities that I've come across in reading and research. I'm kind of a nerd and I do a lot of reading in the areas of positive psychology and other things. And so I've kind of collected these evidence-based activities. And some of them are things that people probably do a lot on their own anyway or are aware of. And others might be things that people aren't familiar with, but the structure of 
the, the workbook and the structure of the program helps people to engage in them more. One of the things I love about it is that one of the activities you can do is just smile more. Yes. You know, when, it, when I first read that and thought about it, my thought was, you know, the construction workers as you're walking past yelling, hey, lady, smile. But, you know, then I looked more into it and did some more research on it. And just the act of smiling makes you look more approachable, makes tricks your mind into feeling what your face is showing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, many of the activities are very simple and I intentionally made them things that you could do in like 10 or 15 minutes to make it less daunting and more more accessible. And smiling, like you said, it's sort of communicating to your body that you're happy and so it can help you to feel in a better mood. But it also you know, we have mirror neurons. And so when you smile at somebody else, they're likely to smile back and it gives them a little bit of a boost. And then their smiling back at you gives you a little bit of a boost and it just feels like a friendlier world. Absolutely. So has your work changed due to the COVID crisis? Yes, <laughs> I think all of our work has changed. And like many people, it's been a real learning curve, an experimentation process. This, because we went remote in the middle of March. So we're on week five right now. And uh, I had never tried Zoom before. I'm now spending a lot of time on Zoom. Oh, yeah. I'm doing a daily wellness Zoom with some of the activities from, from this book. Yeah, and experimenting with videos. So, you know, we're, we're in this very different work environment. We're at home. You know, I've got my dog here, my partner. So just managing noise and distractions uh, and also just recognizing that things may take a little bit longer than I'm used to. Yes, that's true too. Why is resiliency so important? I think resiliency is really the foundation of happiness. No matter what, we're going to face challenges and have difficulties or have painful things happen to us. And that's pretty relevant right now. I think we're all experiencing some difficulties from the coronavirus. And resiliency is about developing the skills to be able to navigate those difficult situations and to bounce back and recover from them more quickly. That means that gives us more capacity for well-being, for engaging in the things that are important to us and for happiness. I absolutely agree. I can agree more. Uh, to me, it seems like some of our current students are not as resilient as perhaps past generations. Do you see that? I do see that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of data to back that up. There's rising rates of depression of anxiety, of loneliness, stress, overwhelm, which, you know, I think is really um, 
you know, it's really difficult to be a young person in this time period. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. Technology gets blamed a lot. And I think social media does contribute. You know, there's there's some studies on using Facebook that that actually increases depression and anxiety, especially if you're using it kind of more passively and reading posts as opposed to more actively posting things. Um, right. And, and the, qual- the quantity of time as well. But I think there's other factors as well, including um, kind of a culture of success and of a lack of tolerance for mistakes that the young children don't have the opportunity to kind of practice failing and surviving that and getting stronger from that in safe ways. And so um, there may not be as many opportunities to build resilience. What are your, I'm curious what your thoughts are on what you think contributes? Um, Well, a lot of what you said, I agree with. I think we've had that generation of kind of helicopter parents and participation trophies. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it's it's so important, like you said, for kids to actually be allowed to fail. Yeah. They haven't had that due to, you know, the helicopter parenting, the participation trophies, you know, everybody wins. Everybody's. It, I think that failure is probably one of the most important things that a child can experience if they learn from it, if they have the tools to learn from it and do better next time, you know, still, still have that parental support and guidance, but let them figure it out. Don't do it for them. Yeah, I I agree. It's really, it really depends on how a failure is handled, whether it becomes an opportunity for growth or if it becomes something that is actually um, a little bit more detrimental to taking future risk. Right. I talk to, I talk to college students a lot about their self-talk when, Mm -hmm. when they do fail, you know, when they don't get the grade they wanted on the test or whatever, you know, is their self-talk blaming themselves? I mean, like, you know, Oh, I'm so stupid, blah, blah. And you know, is that helpful? But, making that conscious choice to change that self-talk into, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have stayed up so late last night. Next time I will do better. I'll take better notes. I'll start studying a few days before the test instead of just the night before. Stuff that they can control. Yeah. Self-talk is so important to mental health and I think that we we get into habits around self-talk and might not even recognize what the internal narrative is just because we're so familiar with it. But with with some work, it's really possible to train yourself to talk to yourself in a different way. And that can just have an enormous impact on mental health and well-being and on success and performance. So you mentioned that you do a lot of reading. One of my favorite books would be Flourish by Martin Seligman. And then right now I am reading 
Fortitude, American Resilience in the Era of Outrage by Dan Crenshaw. And I'm getting a lot of great insights and things that I can use out of that. So what are some books that you have read that have been helpful to you? Something kids could read on their own? Yeah, so I I also have read a lot of, um, or I think all of Martin Seligman's books. He's kind of the person who introduced me to positive psychology because he's sort of one of the people who really brought it forward and, and created that field. Um, and now there's just so, so much in that field. So it's hard to pick my favorite books. I would say, one that's helpful is called Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen, I believe is the author's name. And I like that one because it's very accessible and it's really giving the message of brain plasticity that we can change the way that we're wired and we can we can do some very concrete, simple things to um, boost our happiness and change the wiring in our brain to support more happiness. So, so I like that one. I really like Kelly McGonigal and uh, The Upside of Stress is one of my favorite books. That's really good for talking about the importance of mindset and the type of mindset that's gonna um, support well-being and support better outcomes. You know, I like Brene Brown. She's got oh, some great stuff. There's, there's so much out there. And there's also really good TED Talks. Uh, Brene Brown, actually, if you, if you don't have time to read a book, she's got a great Netflix, um, just a one-hour one show. I can't remember what it's called, but, you know, she is sharing really great information in a very comedic way. So it's, it's very engaging. So if you've got the time to watch that, I would recommend it. Well, I certainly have the time and I know our students do too, to binge one hour on Netflix. So absolutely, I'm going to watch that. I saw that actually pop up on my Netflix feed the other day and I'm like, oh, I probably need to watch that. <laughs> do you remember what it was called i don't i don't remember but it was you know it, one of the new things that was out so it was easy to find yeah yeah okay do you have any final advice for students or even your, your colleagues who are going through this right now so one piece of advice is just to be gentle with yourselves to to recognize that this is a really difficult time and to maybe not have the same expectations of yourself that you would under normal circumstances in terms of what you're able to accomplish and do and even like expecting your brain to think re really clearly there's there's just a lot going on right now and um i think it takes a lot of energy to process it all so just to be kind to yourselves. That's excellent advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, we may have you again. It's great. You're, you're a great, it was great having you. And I hope that we can continue our relationship in the future. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. And um, please share the link with me so I can so I can share it once this is once this episode is uh, being aired. Oh, absolutely. It's actually going to go live Monday. So okay, then I will. Yeah, I will definitely send it to you. That would be great. I appreciate you having me. Like I said, this is my first podcast interview. So it's very exciting. It is. It's kind of fun, actually. I enjoy doing them. How many How many episodes have you done so far? I believe you are either my fourth or fifth. Great. Cool. Yeah. This is, you know, this the coronavirus stuff is really forcing us to branch into new areas. It's definitely got me out of my comfort zone, for sure. <laughs> yes, me too. Uh, okay, I'm going to end with another good news story. This one is pretty cool because I, I hope that we're all trying to raise good humans. And this girl is a good human. So a 17-year-old grocery store cashier is being hailed for going above and beyond the call of duty to help a senior shopper named Lane McKeel. McKeel hasn't been able to get out of his house very much since the start of the coronavirus. He had just picked up his disability payment and decided to go get some food and supplies from supermarket in Georgetown, Tennessee. The grocery store employee, her name was Elizabeth Taylor, haha, had just finished ringing up McKeel at checkout when he was distressed to find himself $33 short of his $173 bill. After explaining his dilemma to Elizabeth, McKeel was about to put some of his items back on the shelf, but before he could, she simply insisted on paying for all of his groceries instead. Uh, she said it was essential stuff, so I was like, you know what? I can take care of this. I can do something good and give back in some small way. Uh, she said, we've seen a lot of older people, and they're all trying to buy groceries, and a lot of places have run out of stuff. And so the older people are kind of taking the downfall for that. I just try to give back when I can. So I love hearing about kids using their own money to help others. And I, yeah, I really hope that I'm raising good humans. That's a really nice story. And I, I think that this can bring out the best in people. Yeah, I've seen, you know, my neighbors helping each other out. And it's, yeah, I think maybe we can just take this time in our lives as a reset. Yeah, and there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of people who are offering their services free and just, you know, as you said, going out of their way to help each other. Well, that's wonderful. And again, thanks for joining us. Uh, to my audience, thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed the show, please tell friends and give us a like on whatever podcast platform you're using. Like and share our posts on social media. It helps us reach more listeners, and we really appreciate it. Be well, Bearcats. <laughs>